It's difficult to tell if the app is working. I wish there were a service for me. Yes, sir. It's 2007. I'm still testing it myself. Running it from the shell. The shell. Hello? Oh, hi, man. Please speak with, uh, hold on. Uh, Mer- Merlin, man? One moment, please. Okay. Hello. Hey, is this Merlin? Hi. Hi. Your podcast is very important to us. <laughs> hi. Can they do that legally? Have a machine call you up like that? Is that legal? Touch, is it, can they still do that? Touch one. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, touch it. Do you like when they say touch or press better? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, Who, whoever like whoever one, I'm talking, whoever they are. Do I like one better than the other? Mm. I guess I If you're being told love, what to do. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I, I get why people do that. Finally saw the Wolf uh, movie. Yeah? Mm-hmm. You want to talk about it? Um, whatever. I mean, it's your show, whatever you want to do. It's my show. Um, I'm, I'm curious to hear. <laughs> good week? Yeah, it's been a great, great week. So good. Been a big week. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you ready to start? Yeah, let's go ahead. Hello. Hey. Touch one. <laughs> Hi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tall and ten and young and lovely. So, Dan, uh, I'm curious if you've seen the uh, theatrical release of uh, The Wolf of Wall Street yet. I did. I finally got around to, uh, got out and saw it. Long film, long movie, three hours. It's a long-ass film uh, by Martin Scorsese, Mm -hmm. Marty, as you call him, Mm -hmm. and uh, featuring uh, Leonardo DiCaprio Mm -hmm. and uh, Jonah Hill and who else? Lots That's of other a, people. Yeah, a lot. Good, it's a, good, good cast, and um, uh, it's about uh, kind of what we would say a crooked uh, investment guy. Right. It's uh, the summary of it would be there's a a guy who goes to work on Wall Street, and due to a stock market crash, is forced to start selling penny stocks, and it's a story of how he turns penny stocks into a a, a fortune. Filled with corruption and well, he struggles. He's, he struggles valiantly with his demons. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's cut to the chase. What did you, what, you think of the slow motion quailude fight? The slow motion quailude fight was the, was the highlight, I think, of of the funny parts of the movie. It, for, the weird thing is, for me, the movie felt like it began in the third act. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's when yeah. it felt, especially when it felt like a Scorsese movie to me, all the pieces sort of fell together in that, in that last third of the movie for me. Does that include the part where he goes to the country club? <laughs> yeah. Especially that's... that part. <laughs> it's great. Who yeah. hasn't, who hasn't done that on a Saturday night though? I assume I have, <laughs> I have, I have to, I almost called you John. I have to imagine, I have to imagine that I have at one point or another gotten a little confused about where I am with my car. <laughs> yeah, and if your car is intact, fully intact, the next morning, if you fully have to intact, check it. I, I need a personal lojack. I'd like, I'd like to be locatable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, uh, there's, there's, um, there's a lot to like about it. I, I think I went into it with the right frame of mind, which was I, I didn't have, you know, I wasn't expecting Goodfellas. Yeah, you know? I mean, you can't, you can't expect Goodfellas. No, so what? But it, it's got, uh, it's got a lot to like, I think, and because of the attitude I went in with, I ended up really enjoying it. It's it's uh it's kind of a farce in some ways. What do you mean by that? Um, you know, I don't have the definition in front of me, but you know, it, I don't think they, I don't think he even really quite means to play it straight. Whereas, again, something oh, okay. like Mean Streets, 
you know, Mean Streets or uh, Raging Bull is played very straight. Yeah. I mean, this is a story about people. There is a fourth wall that doesn't break, you know, and then you look at something like Goodfellas, which is, you know, it's well, a tour, tour de force. They do break the fourth wall. There's a lot of the narrative, almost the entire movie for once, the voiceover works. He's speaking to us as the audience, this character, you know what I mean? And in this one, I mean, it was, they're practically mugging, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you think of it in those terms, I think it's, it, if you go into it looking for some kind of like serious, you know, movie, I, yeah, you, I, I think you'd be disappointed. I don't think that's what you'll, I think Fine. a lot of people go into things looking for a serious movie. I did. Serious. I did. I, you went into it prepared. I don't know how you were prepared for it. I went into it think, not not necessarily expecting Goodfellas, uh, but uh, more. Um, I just I thought it was going to be because I mean, you know, what, when you think of a Scorsese film, what f- kind of films do you think of? I mean, obviously Go- Goodfellas, right? You know, um, I think even even though I've only seen it. Maybe twice. Mean Streets definitely comes to mind, and Taxi Driver comes to mind because those yeah. are the movies I think of when I was getting to the kind of getting to the age where you think a lot about movies. Those were the ones I was watching on VHS. Um, you know, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, you think of that, or I guess you know, Shutter Island. I guess if you you know if you ask me to start naming them, I could, but. Mm-hmm. You know, Mean Streets, I think, is kind of like where he made his bones in some ways, right? I think so. I mean, I think that's something that, that people will always, you know, go go back to as like a definitive film. I mean, Raging Bull. But if if you were to look at, I'm just trying to pull up a list of, of all of his films because there's so many. Like, yeah. it's, he's 71 years old now. Did you know that? Hmm. 71 years old. I could After see Hours, being... you forgot Color of Money. Last Temptation of Christ, he did that. Cape Fear, Casino. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of movies. The Aviator Course. So, Goodfellas lost to uh, Dances with Wolves at the Oscars. Is that true? Isn't that correct? I I believe you. I'm not arguing. I think you guys talked about it on the uh, show with Syracuse. Yeah. But what did uh, Raging Bull... Uh, lose to was it, I imagine it was nominated. I'm looking at that right. Maybe now. Popeye. <laughs> yeah, I think it. 19, 1942. Yeah. You know? uh, the film is widely viewed as a masterpiece and was voted as the voted the greatest film in the 1980s by Britain's Sight and Sound magazine. Uh, it received eight Oscar nominations, including Best Picture, Best Actor for Robert De Niro, and Scorsese's first for Best Director. De Niro won, as did Thelma Schoolmaker for editing, but Best Director went to Robert Redford for Ordinary People. Ordinary effing people. Huh. Hey, uh, the showbot's coming up with the frequency. Is that how we're, is that how we're rolling? Uh, we're going to have to because for whatever reason, the CMS is having a problem with notifications. And cause I'm sorry, when you talk fast, it makes me nervous. Yeah, all right? I think I'll be okay. I, I, can I be honest with you, Dan? Mm-hmm. You promise? Yeah. Okay. Got a lot of problems. I do? Uh, no. Well, I, <laughs> you absolutely do. Yeah. But I've got, I've got a lot of personal problems. Yeah. I don't want to get, I don't want to make this show about me. No. But I've got a lot. Mm, I got a lot of problems. It just cumulative cumulative problems, Dan. They just they snuck up on me. I ran out of water. First, I said nothing because I still had some soda stream, and then I ran out of soda stream. You mean then at they the came, office or or in general? Or here, here in my, in my private office. I just I just you know what it is. I got to lug those big bottles around, you know, and do the trade in. 
So I ran out of SodaStream. Then I've been buying, uh, having delivered, because I live in San Francisco and I'm fancy, 12 packs of, uh, of the seltzer and cans, mm-hmm. like an animal. And I only realized right before we, uh, we got into the studio here that, uh, that I'm actually out of that too. Plus, I think my pinch nerve might be back. Oh, no, not again. Pin- yeah, I, I can't tell if it's the same pinch nerve. I think it might be a different pinch nerve, but I'm, I'm self-medicating. So anyway, I got a lot of problems. But I'm going to rise above it. I did uh, absolutely no preparation for the show. That's the best kind of show. That's the best way to do a show. Yeah. Well, I think we should set people's expectations for this one. Yeah, I know. I agree with that. By which I mean they shouldn't expect a lot. I mean, the show butts down. I got no water. And, and, and I'm in this stress position here in this chair. Can you hear that? The handle just rattles. This little uh, armrest just rattles. I call it a handle. I think they set the tone for that movie early on when you've got basically Satyricon in one floor of an office. Mm-hmm. That scene was, that was pretty over the top. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talking about the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Um, there, you know, there's a lot of the things like I, w- in a way I wanted to sort of be surprised by the things that went on. And to be honest, I really wasn't. And I don't know why this is. Maybe I've become like jaded from doing the show now for a few years. But none of the things seemed to shock me very much that they were doing. Um, you know what I mean? Like it, it, it like it. In, okay, I know we're not supposed to compare it to Goodfellas, but in Goodfellas, like everything that they did, really kind of shocks I think you. That's, I, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not against uh, comparing it. I think. Um, it's uh, my wife and I talk about this. Like, what kinds of things it's appropriate to show to our daughter because she has a really like kind of weirdly high tolerance. And, and we again, we talked about this as well. Even if they have a high tolerance, you still don't want to expose them to really bad stuff because that's just not cool, you know. Yeah. But like, you know, I I do acknowledge a difference between like the kind of violence you see in Saw. Versus the kind oh, yeah. of violence that you see in a Sam Peckinpah movie or like a, you know, Sergio Leone movie or something. And, uh, you know, and then the other end of the spectrum, the kind of violence you see in like a Warner Brothers cartoon. So, you know, I mean, when we watch, do you have that, do you have that, um, you can get this on the iTunes store, like the Pixar shorts. You can get those collections of Pixar shorts. I love shorts. those. Oh my God. Those are, those are such go-tos for us. I love the, um, I love so many of them, but the one that we just watch all the time is uh, Jack Jack Attack. The one that's the tie-in. That's such a great one. That is so great. So this is, a, <laughs> you're going to say it's a tie-in for The Incredibles and it's Jack Jack is the little baby in The Incredibles who, um, uh, spoiler alert, I guess, may have some superpowers of his own. And this is what goes on with him and the babysitter when, uh, when the rest of The Incredibles are out uh, doing battle with the bad guys. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, um, it, it takes place during the continuity of The Incredibles movie, but obviously... I don't think they ever intended to include that in the movie because it would have been a huge distraction. It would would have spoiled the ending a lot. No, it would have ruined the ending. And, uh, and, and it's one of those things that works so well as something that even if you've never seen the Incredibles, I still think it, it, it works well. And it's just so entertaining. That one's so great. Yeah. And you know, Pixar, when they're at the top of their game, um, you know, you get a character like Kari, you know, <laughs> the Kari, the babysitter with the, with the braces, who's trying to yeah. like, do like cognitively enriching things with Jack, Jack. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> she's the ideal babysitter. At least she starts out that way until the end with the mirror when she's just sitting there. <laughs> she looks like a zombie. I know. She's been up all night putting out, but he just bursts into flames. Yeah. Um, but um, for example, with that, uh, you know, or, or in fact, in the movie, when, when his powers manifest, it's mm-hmm. kind of scary in some ways. Um, but it's not, it's not the kind of thing that, you know, you, you don't want to expose your kids to violence, but you know, unnecessarily, but at the same time, or, you know, or, or just even just deliberately shocking images. There's a lot of things in movies now where they really are working us in a post Spielberg era. I think people have really, you know, learned how to very efficiently manipulate our emotions visually and, and with sound and things like music and all that stuff. But, you know, in a case like that, like, I don't think that's, I don't think. I'm, I'm deliberately picking a pretty extreme example. I think you could watch Jack Jack Attack with a pretty young kid. And it's not going to make them. Oh my! I mean, yeah. Scare I mean, whether whether or not this is correct or not, my you know two two year old daughter has seen it and thinks it's funny, and my six year old loves it. So, you know, I don't think there's anything especially scary about it. It's kind of funny, um, right? Maybe they're too young. But the the phrase that people use for better or for worse is you know cartoon violence. I think that's even like a phrase that they use in. Um, there might be a phrase that the MPAA uses. I'm not. Even, I'm not sure. But you know, when they're when they're warning you what's in this, you know. Um, so in this case, I mean, it really it was kind of a cartoony. Wolf of Wall Street was kind of cartoony. Yes, in a, in a way, it was a little bit cartoonish. Which you weren't, you weren't really me. supposed to believe. I don't think you were really supposed to believe that Jonah Hill's teeth really looked like that. It, that's why I say it's a little bit farcical, like del- deliberately farcical, like a Marx Brothers movie. You know what I mean? I don't know. I I, I like I liked Marx it a lot. Brothers I think. Movie. No, Brothers now I'm, I'm starting to think about that. No, that's that's. Would you like me to read the definition of farce? Farce, I mean, not if, in the sense of people saying like, "Oh, this you know, this meeting's a farce." Farce, a comic dramatic work using buffoonery and horseplay, and typically including crude characterization and ludicrously improbable situations. So like having a stateroom on a ship that has like 25 people in, being jammed into it is, you know, farcical. Yeah. Taking, taking a premise and then pushing it way too far, you know. Um, I didn't prepare anything for this week. No, I, that's all right. But I have a spot. I have something I could tell you about that I like. Oh, is there something, something that, you, that you like? You've got a few things that I like. God, Dan, I would love to hear that. Would you like to hear that? Oh, my God. I got, uh, I'm drinking this, I'm drinking this uh, overpriced Pellegrino out of a bottle like an animal. Can you well, imagine? Can you even imagine what that's like for me? No, I really can't. I already make the best seltzer in the world. I know you already have the ability and well, to to make the best seltzer. But I'll tell you what: if if you're the kind of person who wants to learn how to make things yourself, mm-hmm. and maybe you're not sure, how do I learn how to make things myself? How do I learn how to make? How do I learn how to do? How do I learn how to be? Mm. There's only one place in the whole world that you can go to get those answers, and it's Linda. Linda.com. That is the place that helps anybody learn creative software business skills that will help them achieve their maximum personal potential and their maximum professional goals done. But you know what? I'm going to let them run. I'm just an idea guy. They're going to have to run with that, but this could be new stuff for them. They could use this. Mm. They have over 2,000 high-quality, engaging video courses. They're taught by industry experts. They're adding new courses every day. You're a beginner? That's all right. Oh, you think you know? So you're advanced. You're pretty advanced. That's fine. You can be there too. Go there too. Videos. They got animations. They got diagrams. You can find what you need. And here's how it works: twenty five bucks a month gives you unlimited access to the entire library. Okay, that's not like oh, you get five courses. You get all of the courses on every single topic, everything that you could possibly want to learn. 
anything that's there, even uh, the, you know, this productivity stuff that Merlin always talks about. You could be, you'd be the next, you could be the next Merlin man since there's a, there is a, an, a hole in the internet, the exact size of, of Merlin man right now. You could be the next. Uh, you could be the next. You mean like, like, like when a, when a, when when a Bugs Bunny character like runs through a wall? Yeah, that's you know like like at the, you're thinking of the one uh, with the the red uh, monster. Monster is the most interesting people, and he runs through, and you see the hole right through like that. That is the exact size and shape that the you wall could is fill. the internet, and the hole was me. The hole was you when you were Merlin Man. So mm. if if you're interested in this, if you you want to get better at photography, I do. You want to learn Final Cut Pro, I do. Project management, why not? Go there. It's lynda.com slash back to work. And if you, if you go to that special uh, URL, then you're going to get a free seven-day trial, full access to everything for that whole time. Linda, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash back to work. Go check them out. Thank you very much to Linda for supporting 5 by 5 and Back to Work. Uh, and and if you're just realizing that you that there's a hole in the internet that you'd like to fill of some kind and you're not sure what, I love the way you know, Dan. If there's one thing I love, what is it? Facets. Don't I love facets? Explain uh, what you mean by facets, Dan. I'm always complimenting you on your facets. Uh, faceting is is a, used to be a very hard problem to solve because if you've got a piece of information, there are many different ways that you could. If you like tag it, you know, taxonomize it to make it findable. And they've done a great job with that here. So if you go to their page, you're going to see, you can look at stuff by subject, right? Um, Do you want to see stuff by a particular software package? Do you want to see things by the author? If you're particularly like one person, oh my gosh, my my college uh, roommate has one here. Huh, he wrote a bunch of um, uh, Adobe uh, books. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Hi, Tony Belante. Yeah, Yeah, he's there. but I love, I love that you can just go in and kind of and follow your nose, and you're not going to get – this is not part of it. They didn't tell us to say this. But, I mean, it, it's not going to be – it's not like some guy sitting there with, with his phone, like taking something out of a box. Like this is like <laughs> – this is real stuff. If you want to go in and you want to learn Ruby, you want to go in and you want to learn uh, – have Anthony Belante teach you about video. It's all in here. I, I, it's a great service. And I went and checked, and I did – I did indeed have two of my – I would say two of the f- maybe five most formative books for me in when I was starting to make websites were Linda books. You know, David Siegel had those two books that you had to have. And uh, Linda had those. I th- she might be where I learned about the invisible one pixel GIF. You know, that, th- that, that little thing changed the whole <laughs> internet if you think about it. It's tr- that, you know, uh, that, that learning that trick and that that hack of being able to make that gif any size you know uh, I, I forgive me john Syracuse, but being able to have a, an invisible or a, a transparent one pixel gif and then being able to use that to adjust where things appeared on the page was giant so giant i i, I remember i think it was cnet i believe was the first the, i'm thinking of the other big innovation that i remember when cnet first had a website that used two columns to create navigation on the left side of the page with a different colored background. Right. This is at a time, if memory serves, this is at a time when, you know, you go back and you look at an old web page, back in like the mosaic days. Um, it was a gray page, pretty much everything was centered. Mm-hmm. Maybe you had a pencil that you were using as, a, as an HR. <laughs> <laughs> Under construction. <laughs> beep, beep, beep. But uh, when CNET launched, uh, the first version of the site that I recall having that yellow left rail, and using a fixed-width table column to do the, the 
I mean, do you remember that? It was, it was like, it was like, what have you, what have you wizards created? How have you made the page have parts? Because <laughs> you think of, because back in those days, I mean, you just, you just hoped that your page would load, right? And everything would just kind of fall in in order. And if something wasn't working on the page, the rest of the page wouldn't load, you know? But then when they did that, man, whew, changed everything. That's what I did for years. That's all I did was make sites that look like that. I mean, but that was good. You were, you were innovating. It was the style at the time. Yeah, I've always been a whacker, you know? A whacker? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you got, you know, I'm trying to remember what the, uh, what, what is the people used to say? You got hackers and whackers and, you know, the hackers are the people who actually really know how to make all that stuff. They're the people who are writing CGI stuff for CGI bin in Pearl. Mm-hmm. And then there's people like me who are like going and <laughs> lifting the code out of other people's pages and trying to make sure that the, you don't have an extra, you know, cell in your table showing up somewhere and figuring all that stuff out. It used to be, remember how brutal that used to be to try and make that stuff work? Just, this is not interesting. I'm well, sorry. no, it is interesting. And I think when you talk about always being a whacker, um, did you get the email that I sent you about a possible topic? Yeah, I thought I, I'm sorry. I was reading it in bed this morning, so I didn't write you back. No, that's all right. I just wondered because, yeah, because l- this a little is, bit intimate, a little intimate. Reading yeah. in bed or the email? Yeah. <laughs> Which? Which one am I? No, that's a good topic. We could talk. I'd be happy to talk about that because I thought it was, thought it was very interesting. And that, that, that guy sounds like a very nice, very smart person. Okay, if you don't mind, if you'll allow it, can I just have one super fast uh, piece of uh, fake follow up? Go ahead, Colin. Okay, thank you, uh, First Time Comicer. I just want to mention, please, please, please come out to Two Cats Comics on this uh, Thursday night. I think that's the day of the week. Uh, the 13th? Does that sound right? Is that come- correct? Yeah, because the uh, 14th is a Friday. Yes. Oh, dear, that's Valentine's Day. Yeah. Better get my lady a black cat. Yep. <laughs> uh, so please come out to Two Cats Comics in, uh, on West Portal Avenue here in San Francisco uh, for the uh, uh, Ungainly X-Man meetup. The third one of these we're going to have. Come out, meet me, talk about comics. I bet those, really two, uh, those two really cool uh, uh, brothers with the red hair and the kilts will be there. Um, that's, not, that's not a euphemism. <laughs> I, bet, I bet you, I mean, J- J- Jesse Atkinson, can I get you to come out? Jesse, huh? huh? What about you, uh, Zickle Pop? You going to come out? I'm just going to start saying Are names. these real people? No, oh, they're, they're gnomes, elves, people of Middle-earth. Swordsmen and oh, such. Oh, right, right, right. Anyway, uh, fake follow-up. Please come out, and uh, it'll be fun. And I, I'm announcing this kind of late, so tell your friends about it. You can come out. Uh, if you go to Merlin, uh, merlinm.com slash meetup, you get information. There's a map, how to get to Two Cats Comics. It's right on West Portal Lab, so you can come out uh, on really the, what, the L, the K, or the M, or the P, the, the Q. You know what? Now you're just making things up. <laughs> Anyway, I'm sorry. That's, a, that's, a, that's all I got for that. You got anything? No, that works. I'm coming. I'll be out there. Okay, I'll be there. I'll, I'll leave a kilt for you. We'll leave a kilt on. Oh, wait. Is that how that is? That's a euphemism. All right. Mm. I just am not sure. Did I send you the right email? Uh, I'm just not, because I, I, I don't know if this is a good segue into it. But, you know, you're talking about these old techniques. Now, like, oh, okay, so I'm working on this new portal for the, we have a little behind the scenes, we have like a, an ad network that we do that we sell different for different podcasts, including 5x5 five five and stuff. And I've been, we have a portal that we had built for this so the advertisers, sponsors could log in and like listen right to the spots of the shows that they, uh, that they sponsored. You know, things. You're kidding. Li- you did that? Yeah, we did that. 
So I'm working Damn, on Damn, man, that's cool. Oh, stop it. Anyway. No, I'm serious. So, I mean, they don't have to sit around and then listen to this nonsense for an hour and a half. They can right. go right they can jump spot. right. They can cut through all this crap and get right to oh. their spot, which is the important, you know, part of the show. You should do that for the listeners. Uh, just, just so they could just play the spots? The one part where we're helpful. Oh, oh right. Yeah, well, maybe we'll do that. That one part at minute 70 where I get all mad. <laughs> But there's a, so there's a lot of other features and things like that, but I'm, I'm reworking and I'm redoing it. And, you know, there are these frameworks that are out there now, like there's one called Twitter bootstrap that all the kids like, and you know, there's a rails gem that lets you integrate it into the app. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm building this kind of thing and looking at this and I realized there are so many right now, and I know this is going to be kind of, as you would say, scoped to the world of Ruby on Rails development, because that's that's the kind of development that I mainly do and that I kindly mainly focus on. Um, but, uh, you know, from my standpoint, uh, this is the, you know, this is the world I live in. So there are right ways to do things. I'll give you a couple examples. If you want to do pagination, so you have a list of a thousand items. Well, you don't want to show a thousand items on your listing page. You may want to show 10 or 15 at a time, maybe 30 at a time. I don't know. Well, there's something called will paginate. That's a gem that you use. And everybody uses this one gem. You could write your own, you could do it your own custom way, but there's a gem and the gem works pretty well. And pretty, most people pretty much use it. If you want authentication, you know, or, or, uh, the, you know, you use devise. If you want uh, roles, you use can can. There are all these little solutions that are packaged up and built. When you and I were starting out, there not only wasn't there a Rails, obviously, but there wasn't even a convention of a way to do something, even something that we assume to be basic. That's at such a low level of how do you do, do you use a database at all, and how do you communicate with one? Even those kinds of things weren't established. There weren't definitive answers. There were people figuring this kind of thing out. A one pixel tracker was incredibly innovative and insightful and being able, like we've made this joke so many times before, like I got a, I got one of my first jobs out of school because I knew how to do a hit pay, a page hit counter. That was like, mm-hmm. that was the, that was like, I was wow. Like I was walking around with that. Like I could do this thing. It's just the kind where it was how many times this GIF loaded. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, things like that, that, that like that was, there was no, a way to do it. There was no Google analytics. There was none of this stuff that we just sort of take for granted now. Oh, you're absolutely right. Um, this is, this is something as I started to mature a little bit in my relationship with, you know, making stuff for the web and project management for the web, I started thinking about this stuff a lot more. And it was right around the time that the patterns stuff was kind of, um, you know, there was like the pragmatic programmer guys and things like that. And, the, you know, the patterns for programming stuff was way over my head, but the idea of design patterns uh, became more and more compelling to me. But but even then, I remember Yahoo at one point uh, was one of the first places I remember that had a collection of design patterns. Like, right. And, and, and just to, you know, I don't, I don't want to speak too much about my pay grade on this here, but, you know, along the lines of saying, well, um, a way of like, here's the, here's a design pattern pattern for having a login page. Like later on, you would see people saying, well, here's a design for having a page where you can do registration and login. Like what would the flow for that look like? But, you know, it, it really was the wild west for so long. Um, maybe just because that's my, my background is being a Mac user and a liberal arts major. So I, I came at it from a completely strange, seemingly strange way at the time, which is, you know, I came at it through email and telnetting in to do anything and having to, you know, just 
the, the equivalent of like, you know, reading something phonetically. Like, you know, when I would have to go in and like I've said so many times doing your tutorials on how to install, you know, a custom installation of Ruby on OS 10 or something like that, having to go in and like really copy and paste every single line. And <clears throat> back when I started doing web stuff, uh, every single job was different. Like I had a Tilda Merlin account on, on a site somewhere where I could do some stuff. Mm-hmm. Very, very small amount of space and virtually zero bandwidth. So you would never do something like put up a movie back then. You couldn't put up a, you know, one of those postage stamp size QuickTime movies. It would just, it would you'd be done. Yeah. Like just testing it, you'd run out of bandwidth. Right. Honestly, that sounds so silly now. It does. It's ridiculous, but... but- but I mean, I would do things in Adobe Premiere and want to share it with my friends. I would make like, mainly was using, again, I was always using the tools wrong. Back then I used Adobe Premiere to make music. So basically the equivalent of like beat mixing um, in the 90s and trying to like put songs over other songs doing what today they might call a mashup. And I want to put that up for somebody with a little graphic, a stupid graphic that's way less sophisticated than most animated GIFs today. And it would be like a one meg file. And having like you, I don't. I don't think I even. I don't know if I even had one meg of storage on my Tilda account. Because <laughs> you'd go in there, you'd optimize with something no, like I don't think, a meg. What would you possibly need a meg for? That's like a whole floppy. Like what could you? Do, what could you possibly do with a whole meg on the internet? <laughs> <laughs> what yeah. would you put up there that could take a text files like two K? So remember, the, the, your the, whole was, site should be eight K. Wasn't the original Mac thousand dollar hard drive ten megabytes? I think it was. And when it came out in whatever, in 1985 or 84, 80, I guess 85, I don't remember. But they said, you know, in the famous review in Macworld at the time was something like, you know, clearly, you know, <laughs> this is probably going to be all the space you'll ever need, you know. Anyhow, um, but but just just for context um, to, and, and contrast, back then, I mean, I, I, got, I got good enough at it, at using things like Fetch. And, you know, once I got a, an honest to God TCP IP account where I could actually go in and have graphical user interfaces for things like the, I mean, you have to understand that like for me, for the first maybe year or probably the first year, all I had was a way to telnet in to a Freenet account and do stuff from there. So it was all Gopher. It was all Archie and Veronica. It was all, right. you know, Pine. <laughs> and, uh, that was, that was it. I think it was Pine. That was, um, that was it. I mean, if, if going to like gopher holes and seeing lists of like basically like what, what you would think of as like a WAP interface, <laughs> which one of these 10 things do you want? Okay, right. you drill down that. That's how you go through folders. And then eventually getting to where like I could, you know, fumble my way around to know about, you know, permissions. And uh, I don't, you know, I couldn't even change ownership on stuff. It was all basically like, do you want this to be 777 or 775 or 755? That was pretty much the limit of it. And it was all pretty much done in the command line. And then, then I finally got a real account. I don't remember. I think I might've gotten, you know, a pay account where you dial up with the modem and you get real like TCP IP. So I could use stuff like Eudora for email, which was just changed my life. It was just the greatest thing in the world. But um, I guess what I'm trying to get at is back then, like I was such a whacker that I, I show up. And I, and, and, you know, even if you have all the guides in the world, I'm fumbling through all these things. Like, and I want to mention before, like, oh, look, it's the free software foundation. That's cool. I'll go in and get some shareware. And I would go in there and it was all these inscrutable Mm -hmm. names of, of things that just made no sense to me. And of course they were all, you know, it was all Unix stuff. I had no idea how to do anything with any of that stuff, you know, but in the fullness of time, I would discover and bookmark like my favorite gopher holes and I could be able to go in and and look at those things. But even then, even, even like flash forward a few years to where I was starting around 95 when I was doing, making web pages for money. Um, even then it was totally the wild west because I had to go in 
And, you know, well, it was usually like a friend or a friend of a friend. I'd get a lead to somebody like our, you could make this, uh, we need this website for this business. We need this website for this organization, whatever. Oh, single practice, single guy practice, chiropractor, a guy who wanted to drop ship carpeting. Uh, you know, all, all these things. <laughs> I told you about Carpet Boy. Yeah. And, uh, but even then, I, I had to go in and kind of make the pitch about why this might be valuable to you, why this would be worth paying me $100 to make this for you. But then I also had to do the heavy lifting of going and like getting them an account somewhere, getting all that stuff set up. And it's, it's so, you know, this is even before the days like where I knew how to register. A, I didn't even know how to register a domain name back then. Everything, that's when you had to fax GoDaddy to like get a domain yeah, name. I remember, I remember before there was, just to take you back into the real Stone Ages, I was just thinking about this. I, this was probably 19, let's say 91 and I wanted to, we didn't even call it registering a domain. name. like, I wanted to have a domain. I wanted to get a domain. You didn't have to pay if Back I'm remembering 19, this right. You knew about this in 1991? Yeah, I was that, that, that wow, wow. off base. And, Did uh, you have like BitNet or something? Like, what were you using? Okay, so my local internet provider in Orlando was, uh, we, have, we have a basketball team uh, out there in Orlando called the Orlando Magic. And uh, he was a big Magic fan, and he called his company MagicNet.net. That was his company, and he was my uh, – something people don't have nowadays. He was my dial-up internet provider because I didn't like AOL. Nobody wanted that if they knew what they were doing. And what, what you would do is he, he had modems. He had racks and racks and racks of modems, and he had a couple servers that were not running FreeBSD. They were running BSD Unix, like BSDi, like the legit uh, – you could buy it version of BSD Unix that would run on Intel. And this is before Linux was a thing. And – I, I wanted to register a domain name. I researched it at the at the university in like 91, 92 time period. And I, I went to him and I'm like, I really want to register a, a domain. That could have been a couple of years later. I mean, my memory's way foggy, but it was in the very early 90s. And, uh, and I went to him and I said, I wanted to register this domain. And he's like, well, you know, I can help you out with that, but it needs to be in, in DNS. You need to have a DNS provider. I'm like, what, what's a DNS provider? He's like, well, I can do that. I'm like, all right. He's like, I'll charge you, you know, an extra five bucks a month to do this for you. I was just like, wow, five bucks. <laughs> all right. All right. Fine. You know, but I that remember was my it. first dial up account was 15, it was $15 a month for, for like a full, like yeah, the dial up. Like, $5 is a chunk of change back then. And, and he had this amazing policy, which was if, if, if the day that he gets a busy signal, he adds four more lines. So if you ever got a busy signal, you could call him and say, I got a busy signal last night, 8 PM when I was trying to you know, trying to browse. And he would the next day order four more telephone lines to be put into his thing and put four more modems on it and put in a new machine. Consequently, MagicNet. MagicNet.net. Later acquired. Hmm. I don't remember by him. You there? Yeah. Oh gosh, I'm that sorry. That was the I end of the just... story. I mean, I don't know. I was, oh, it's, it was a great, just, it's a great story. I kind of was, went back in time in my mind for a little bit. I was imagining what it, his place looked like. and I, I get the sense you probably, you felt yourself back in Florida for a moment. For a you were, moment, were, it was weird. Just for a moment. Floating. Well, but, but and so, so in all these cases, like, like you're describing though, I mean, it was, I mean, there were then the, if you like the hacker people, that's a silly way to put it, but there were people who had come up through, um, well, just one more historical thing 
from my point of view, was that there are people, most of the people who got onto the internet got onto the internet through one of two places back then, which was either through some kind of a government or military job or through college and, you know, or university. So if you went to Washington University or whatever, like you, you got an account Mm -hmm. and you could do email and stuff, but it was all command line. I mean, until what, really like 94, 95, it was, it was all pretty much all, everybody's doing everything on the command line. And of course, just for the young people, this is before AOL famously added uh, internet service to the September that never ended. Uh, (laughs) Wait, what does that mean? You know, you've heard that term. No, what is that? I don't know that. Um, you know, the wizards and the beardy guys, you know, every, every September there would be a, new arrivals on campus who would come in completely green, completely dumb, making the same mistakes and asking the same questions that everybody asks every, sept- every September. And so the people who had to do support or the people who were kind enough to want to help people out always had to deal with the same crop of exactly the same frequently asked questions every September. And so <laughs> with, with exasperation, when AOL added internet uh, web connectivity to their walled garden service, um, everybody who has one rolled their eyes and called it the September that never ended. Because from, from, <laughs> from all of that time through the, through the late 90s into the 2000s, there was always somebody arriving every day who had absolutely no idea what they were doing. Newbies, as we used to say. Newbies. Newbies. They, they don't even read Wired magazine. Um, but, you know, I guess, I guess the, 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 uh, this, this contrast, and I want to hear about something you like in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, the contrast I'm trying to draw, though, that, that as somebody who is now so out of the loop with all this, I mean, I'm familiar with Bootstrap. I, 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 it seems amazing. Last thing, last thing of any consequence I got involved with was probably Blueprint. I was using Blueprint. Uh, Blueprint. Blueprint. Hi. I want to get this done right to show me all the blueprints. <laughs> uh, Blueprint was the last framework I had anything to do with, and I thought it was amazing because it just made it so easy. And then about the time I finally picked up Blueprint, like things started evolving so quickly. And now Bootstrap is like on a whole other level. I mean, it's but back then it really was – It was. I guess what I'm trying to get at is the fact that I was a whacker at that at a time when there weren't even whackers to be found is the, was the sole uh, place that I found any value. W- what I was doing was the kind of stuff that uh, uh, a Ruby script could do a thousand times better today and uh, you know, a million times faster and you know, no errors. But the fact that, I, you know, like I say, I'm, the ability to make a break tag is why I had a career on the web. It really was, it was not super complicated, yeah. but, but it was just enough of weird cobbled together skills <laughs> that like I could like, you know, the combination, and this sounds so nuts now, but in 1995, the ability to use, I think it was probably fetch at that point is before I got into anarchy. Um, and then later of course, transmit, but you know, just knowing what an FTP app was being able to set the preferences correctly, um, being able to keep something uploaded and not clobber files, have basic organizational skills, know how to use an FTP app, know how to make HTML that mostly worked and would fit on most screens. Definitely always always find out the resolution of the boss's screen, because if it didn't work on there, you were screwed. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, just having the most perfunctory, quote-unquote, design skills, you know, to have an animated baseball on the page or whatever, <laughs> you know? But that, that, that skill set at the time, because it was, it was so incredibly interesting to me, um, and I, I was just 
it, it's uh, weird now, but this is what coming up on twenty years ago. I was so I don't like when you say stuff like that. Yeah, it's pretty freaky. It's yeah. over twenty years ago. I started doing so. You know, if somebody else who had a life was making a baby, that kid would be old enough to drink now. You know, that's weird. We'll name her Eudora. <laughs> Eudora. <laughs> do do do. Remember the little rooster? No. Oh, Eudora. <laughs> do do do. <laughs> Dan. It's a good segue into the email conversation. That's a terrific segue. Speaking of emails, I, I, I gotta tell I you, I gotta tell you about some of that. Let me tell you about this something called Facebook. <laughs> Merlin, I happen to know. Yes. The answer to this rhetorical question, but are you still using Word or Excel to create invoices? No, you're not. Can I give you a rhetorical answer? Yes. Are you even kidding me? <laughs> Heck, no, I'm not. But I mean, that, that's crazy. That's like that's like using a using a sawhorse to make an email. It's goofy. Here's the thing, Dan. <laughs> What you got? What you got for me? <laughs> no, it's bananas. You got me on the fresh books, and I've never looked back. That's the thing. Once you start riding the fresh books wave, you never crashed. <laughs> I'm serious. They're gonna have to run with this. <laughs> These are. Did you know that I threw up seven times on Saturday night? That's a lucky number. We'll go back to that. So fresh books, it's the easiest way to send invoices to manage expenses and to track your time. It is. Uh, they they like the term cloud accounting. So we'll go with it. FreshBooks, simple cloud accounting solution. What does that mean? That means you don't have any software to install. You don't have to run anything on your local machines. You don't have to install or buy expensive accounting software. And it's all out there. You go, you log into FreshBooks. You can have all the people on your team logging into FreshBooks. They can track their hours there. You can do expenses. You can do all this stuff. But the big thing, the big thing that I know most people turn to FreshBooks for is invoices invoices, because this is what it's going to let you do. You can capture and track the expenses like I told you about, but then you can turn around and you can get real-time business reports. You can turn these into invoices in one step and you send them out to the people who owe you money. And what's nice is the snooping features. That is, if I send Merlin, if I, Merlin, I want to invoice you for some time. I wonder if he's got the invoice. I don't have to wonder. I know. I'm sorry, Dan. I didn't get the oh, invoice. Oh, you didn't get it really because it shows me right here that on September 22nd at 10.03 p.m. Central Time, you opened it. And then it when shows I, when the, I say I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. It's so true. We know. And you can also, you can, you can see when each person, cause sometimes like we invoice someone and there's like a main contact and then there's an accounting person. You can even see like when the other person on the accounting team opened it, you can see when they paid it, you can accept payment right there on the website. You can use PayPal, you can use authorize.net, you can use Stripe, whatever you want to use. It all just plugs right in. And it's, it's just the most genius setup in, in the whole world. And, uh, and what these guys are doing right now, uh, they're doing something fun. Uh, they are every day giving away a birthday cake to somebody who signs up for a new account from this show. Now, here's the important thing. They, we, they, they gave us a little status report and they said, hey, we, we're doing well, but it's hard for us to track which shows are, are, are doing well, which ones are getting the most cakes. I said, why? I said, well, people just enter five by five and how you heard about us. And I said, well, they, they've got to enter the show, right? And they said, yes, they, we have, they have to enter the show. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to getfreshbooks.com. And when you sign up in the place where it says, how did you hear about us to win your cake? You type, you type in back to work and what they're doing is they're sending a cake every day. They send one person a cake could be you. So go sign up. And by the way, if we, we were saying on one of the shows like, well, we're gluten free. I wish we could eat one of the cakes. They just sent us for fun. They sent us one of their gluten free cakes. So they, they have that every day can be your birthday. So go sign up, try it out. You're going to love what they do. They really are amazing, and uh, and they streamlined our business in a big way. Getfreshbooks.com. Type in back to work when you're uh, signing up, and maybe you'll win a cake, and you'll definitely love 
the uh, the service. Thanks very much to Fresh Books for supporting Five by Five and Back to Work with uh, with Merlin Mann. Dan Benjamin. Uh, it's great. It's great service. And, uh, I, you know, I, I have to say, I, I love the fact that you can just have that PayPal link right on the page. It it's makes right it there. so much easier for things that are pretty small. I mean, a lot of companies will just, if they have a credit card, they can just run it right through. Yeah. It's, you know, that's a- the thing that, that a lot of the time we would get requests from, you know, our, our smaller sponsors who were maybe doing like one episode of a show, not the bigger ones like fresh books. They're doing lots of shows, but you might just get one iOS developer who's do, sponsoring one episode of a show, you know, they they don't have the infrastructure to do it. They just want to swipe their credit card. Maybe they don't even have enough money to pay for it. Who knows? They can charge right there on the site with you. It's really great. Yeah. Good stuff. It's a very it's, it's one of those very modern services that makes you hate the old way so much. Yeah, just go ahead and send us a net ninety invoice mm-hmm. and I'll pass that on to Jeanette. And Jeanette will not look at it. Until you call and cry. (laughs) (laughs) Until we can verify tears. I think that's here somewhere, but Jeanette is out today. They can't even email a a printed printed one i think they get you get like two or three a month free of of like they'll print out an invoice you can send us it says right there you can either i know the buttons well there's the you know save as draft send via email and they actually the button says send via snail mail you can send it like through god love you you could send a paper invoice through the united states postal service good luck do you believe in magic but you can do it right there um I didn't have a real point to this, but, but it just, it's funny because I look back and I think about like how much I was learning on the back of, not on the back, because I always, I always did the best I could. And I think almost all of the time I provided the best possible services that I could way beyond probably what I was being paid for mm-hmm. at the time. But I really was learning a lot, learning pretty fast, but I didn't, I didn't feel like there was any like continuity to learning. And I certainly never felt like there was any end to like where I was going to know enough to know you know, 80% of everything. It's just things, even then, you know, things were changing pretty fast and I, I always tried to stay up with it. And you really, even up through things like, you know, the Zeldman years and trying to really stay up to date on, um, you know, after his orange book, like trying to get real good about having my code validate and stuff like that. But um, it, I, 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 um, I'm envious in some ways of a world where somebody who is just a really good designer, who is just a really good developer, doesn't have to make their own mayonnaise in order to create a sandwich, you know, to have all that stuff there. (laughs) Here's the thing, Dan. (laughs) Have you ever had, you take two pieces of bread, you put egg and oil on it. That's not a sandwich. That's a mess. Okay. That's number one. You got to go to your wife and tell her you want to make mayonnaise. And then you're going to need something to make it in. It's weird. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, Having said that, like today, I would not have a career because I'm not a naturally gifted developer. I am not a naturally gifted designer. The fact that I was able to whack through that, you know, this is, I guess, very back to worky, but it, uh, it, that, that enabled me to make these connections that in a million years I, I never could have or would have made. Connections including things like learning about stuff via the web that became very interesting to me. Getting to where I could go start a TypePad account and go make 43 folders. Um, you know, whatever that was. It's just, you know, today like with, Square, with Squarespace, for example, like it's just, it's so it's so wonderful to think that that the only limitation now is like what you feel capable of making. 
It's it really I know is. That's not the, I, know that's not, I know that's not the only thing, but even like think about even at the time around the show, maybe around the time our show was starting, wasn't Rails still kind of like a dicey proposition in terms of scalability? And those I know those problems have been. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely there's it's things have come so far in just such a short period of time. And, and you know, it, that used to be I'm thinking back when we did start the show, that was one of the big it was kind of winding down at that point. But that was one of the big discussions is can rail scale and which thing is scaling and which one is not. And I mean, I know there are still problems at very, very high volume with with so many technologies, but, but that's, like, that's, that's, that's not an interesting that. conversation it's, anymore. That's, that's a totally different part of the stack, though. But I mean, at the heart of it, like I remember even when. Um, the Adaptive Path folks were developing, uh, was it Chart, not Chartbeat, what was the name of their app? Um, Measure Map. You know, it was, I mean, it was a real pain to keep it running. Once on days when it got popular, you got to go restart the web rick or whatever. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was a, it was a real pain. And those are some pretty, pretty talented folks. But, um, it's, I, I'm really intrigued by, uh, the seeming Lego block nature of things today. Hearing Marco, for example, talk about things like, you know, back when he was doing Instapaper and having to like, you know, I guess provision another server or something like that. But even the fact that like, once well, you, no, you know, you got to, you got to keep in consideration. Marco is very much in the, in the long line of people who are do it yourselfers who, you know, because, because the way he goes about things, at least the, the way he used to, um, he, he figures out how to do something and then he likes to take ownership of that and then he likes to, to do it. There are plenty of, you know, he he chose to run his own servers and, and run them the way that, that he did, making sure that they were perfect and talking directly to like the people who were racking them. And that's the, that's the way that he liked doing it. There's lots of other ways to do it. I'm not saying that's bad. Um, it gave him, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm applauding the commoditization of the stack. Yeah. I think he, but what I'm saying is like, that's a, that's one choice. And that was used to be the only choice. And now you can, you can like something like Heroku on the complete other side of that, where you don't even know if there is a real server anywhere and you don't even know how your application is running. You just type a command to deploy it and all of a sudden it's there and you have a database and you have a, a thing and if it's slow you just add more dinos to it by tweaking a slider like that's a complete opposite of like calling Rackspace and being like yes this is the way I want the server configured and then I'll get in there as root and I'll install the packages you know both of those things still exist and it's a, it's amazing that on both sides of it, it you didn't even have that like you used to have to build your own server and go to a low, put it in your in your back of your car and drive it to your local data center to get a server on the internet. Right, right. Isn't Absolutely. that crazy? How far we've come. Yeah, it really it really is crazy, and how and really how quickly this kind of asinine nostalgia for a time that's not that long ago. I mean, think about how, how old is? Didn't YouTube just turn ten? Did it? Yeah. Something like that. But I mean, YouTube already feels like something that's been around forever. Like, can you imagine a time before YouTube? I mean, it was there. We were there. February 14th, 2005 is when it was founded. Okay. So, so eight, eight or nine years. But still. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's the idea of getting video or being able to consume video on the web, um, let alone get to something where you could stream from Netflix. I mean, it was, it was so crazy. You had to go in and you know, transcode this thing perfectly, uh, put in the, you know, the QuickTime uh, embed thing and then, or, or, or real, you know, real player, real media. And just, I look at old .rm files, like from back in the day, you know, and they're like a hundred, they're like, they're like a hundred K. 
basically, you know, wow. back then, like old movies, and they, yeah. they really do look like an animated GIF that yeah, has right. a little bit of sound coming out of it. But anyway, I don't know. I just, it interests me because it's, it's always, the, in some ways, the, maybe the canonical back-to-work story for me is, is being kind of amazed, kind of scared about what's going to happen in the future, but having a different kind of fear about like what could have been differently. The, imp- the like, amazingly like, improbable road that's got me to sitting here talking to, on a microphone with you like over the internet mm-hmm. and having it work. Wait, and you mean we're putting, not in the same room? Yes, I mean, being that we got to the point where we could both be in the same room. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, and then like have, have ads on a podcast and that's like a thing we do. Yeah. Like that's, that already, that, that's so weird. It's just, but you know, it's, it's a, uh, and those things they build and all the little tiny pieces build on top of each other in such a way that you almost don't really notice it. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it, I, I was trying until to, one day, until one day when you really notice it. Right. Like but that, what does it take to really notice it? Like how does, what makes that happen? That's a great question. I'm thinking when you were describing things like going and uh, ordering more servers and, you know, I, I assume, I, mean, I don't know the terminology, but I assume if you've got multiple servers that are kind of doing the same thing, you can like not, not mirror or clone, but whatever you would do, you say, okay, well, I want five more servers like this to do this thing. And then I cluster them and I do, do my stack magic. Like the ability to do that, like that is a much more, um, uh, I guess it's a bigger, more high-tech version of what the magicnet.net internet guy did, Mm -hmm. which is like, okay, busy signal, I'll buy four more Hayes modems and get four more lines. And then one day, nobody needs those anymore. Right. Suddenly, he has a lot of 96 or 14.4 modems sitting around or however, however, whatever speed. Yeah. I mean, I I, I imagine, I think actually I heard something on... I forget. I think maybe on on the media, but you know, people who still use BBSs. <coughs> hmm. There are still people who use BBSs for but, what? In, are they internet connected BBSs now? <laughs> well, no. I, I I guess I don't know. One of the stories was about this this like untended BBS that people keep going to. It's like an abandoned BBS <laughs> that people. Okay. Keep, so, like, what was your first BBS experience? To walk me through this, because uh, I, I had think, a very disturbing <laughs> first BBS experience. <laughs> What uh, I accidentally I stumbled hear, into. I also want to hear about your vomiting. Um, oh yeah, that would be uh, Bob O'Leary's Apple uh, Mac user group BBS in 1993, and I would go to meetings in a school classroom and sit on a plastic chair for the user group. Wow. No, you know they had shareware that you could download. You could talk to people. Extremely. Uh, well-articulated and heavily enforced rules of etiquette, or netiquette, as we used to say. Uh, yeah, that was mine. Around 93, 94. What's yours? <clears throat> it was definitely in that 93, 94 time period. Um, but it, I don't remember what the, the BBS was. I think it was like one where you could, you know, it was like a like a shareware. Because back then, people don't remember what shareware is anymore uh but everything back then that was not from a very large major like even bb edit if i remember right started as shareware um if it was not from like a microsoft or a, you know or a, a adobe it was basically shareware and that meant one or several usually one developer like wrote some software you got, you got freeware you got demoware right shareware uh you got crippleware crippleware nagware nagware <laughs> <laughs> but freeware i mean it's so funny how like all those terms went away i think i think as one independent designer just went you know what we need to call this something different because yeah. it kind of implies that we're begging 
Yeah, it does sound like that. Well, shareware was, you know, this is you. So you could go to, and at the time we didn't have the internet really. You would go, you would dial up, and your modem, you would dial into a BBS system, which maybe had a certain number of lines. Many people paid for access to this, and it's weird because you were paying for access to download files that were applications that were free. So it wasn't pirating stuff. They also had, they also had Fora. I mean, you yeah, know, there's also yeah, good true. message boards. And you could do chat and things like that. But you're right. I think the, the, for, for me as a Mac user, that was I was, the see, I was on PC at, at, at this time. Was, we had a Mac, but it was not our internet-connected machine. That was at work. Well, that was not always so easy. Yeah. And so I remember going to this thing, and I was looking at the different shareware to do, you know, because, like, I think I wanted Print Shop Pro, but I, I wanted, like, the free version of it. It was, like, a shareware thing that was trying to be comparable because I was, you know, in college and didn't have any money. And... Uh, I, there was like a pictures folder also on the server <laughs> that had things in it that I was not expecting to find. And yes. Yes. It, it just yes. mixed in with shareware. And this was like a well-known like shareware BBS in, in Central Florida. It was not one of those servers. Uh, but it was just a learning experience for me in some ways. And – and uh you know, but it's funny because even even back then, with it's like as soon as there's a place for someone to upload a file, oh, they're gonna upload a file, <laughs> and it was just such a strange. Like, how come the, the 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 earliest stages of the internet were still going there? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This is weird. <laughs> Those BBSs though, there was a labor of love. I mean, uh, I don't. In the case of, I think uh, this guy Bob who did the uh, Mac user group, he was like the go-to. Uh, Mac internet guy. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think he made a lot of dough off of it. Um, and it was, he had to put up with a lot. He had to answer a lot of questions. He, he was just unfailingly like ebullient and polite to everybody and kind of expected everybody else to be the same way. Mm. In this kind of Billy Mummy way, you know, like everybody <laughs> smiles, everyone smiles. Um, but that was a labor of love. I mean, I think he did that, you know, mostly out of his own pocket. Um, but that's it was it was that hobbyist culture that was my introduction. I mean, you know, as much as I was using a Mac and, and paid software and stuff like that, you know, that was that was how you found out about stuff. I mean, and you could just you would go. I mean, but it was this is all just at this point now. I'm just descending into nostalgia. Or whatever the opposite of nostalgia is, it was such a pain in the butt. Nostalgia is like a positive feeling. But I'm, I'm right. Well, it's still. I think it still counts as nostalgia. But having to go in and like, you know, you go into it like a just a directory with a bunch of things that might be like, you know, um, what was oh, what was the bin hex HQX? Yeah, HQX. Yep. Yeah. So you go in and see like, you know, filebuddy.hqx for filebuddy105.hqx. Like, oh, what does that do? And then you go to another file for all the descriptions of what the things were. So, I mean, it was, it was, it wasn't, you know, there were no icons. That, that's, that's the thing. If you wanted to go in and find ASCII art of the Windows logo, you'd have to go in and look at a whole bunch of different files to find the ASCII art that you liked and then wait for it to download. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and it was it was also something where like uh, I had brought a lot more thought and mindfulness to it because it was absolutely not always on. It was absolutely not everywhere. Uh, it was absolutely not unlimited. Uh, there were there were times when I had access to a computer that was on the internet, and even then, somebody might have to use the phone 
I'm not not being silly. I mean, you know, you couldn't just be on all the time. People yeah. like people trying to call, get off the phone. You've got to get off of this. Um, and uh, just for limited amounts of time, and, and things like you know checking your email became like a really big deal and a real a rite and a ritual. The first thing I would do is go and you know check my email. Doo-doo-doo, you know, I can't believe you didn't use Eudora. It's really good. Mm. No, I mean I they used had- Eudora. I just don't remember the rooster. Oh, I think it had a rooster. It probably did. I, didn't, I just don't remember it. And you know who turned me on to Eudora? Zeldman. What? Yeah. He was, you know, he was a long, long, long time Mac user. And I was in this weird situation where I had, uh, I had PCs that were like the internet connected machine and I had Macs that I did most everything else with. But there was a period of time in college when the Mac that I had was too, uh, too old to be of any real practical use. We had a really good Mac lab at the university that I, where I would go to do any kind of like actual writing or desktop publishing or anything like that. But what I could afford at home was a PC that I built myself or in my apartment was a PC that I built myself. So then I, I spent a lot of time using the P which was actually worked out well. Cause it's how I learned all this stupid windows stuff that I knew that got me jobs. It's just such a sad image. You sitting alone in an apartment or land. Oh, you want to see you built yourself. Do you want to hear how you want to, first of all, yes. And the second of all, it gets worse. The PC was in one of those tiny little, you know, fake wooden, this is pre-IKEA, one of those fake wooden, like, uh, press board desks in my closet. (laughs) So I would have to go into my closet and sit on a chair in that was broken with a broken back, just the bottom part of the chair, in my closet to use the PC that I built myself to get online. It sounds like the third world. It it really was actually the third world. It was actually the third world. But oh, I do have, I do do you want to hit this topic because it's something I want to get your take on. Should we do a a spot and then I'll tell you about it? I I, I would love to get to that. I would love to hear about you vomiting, but oh. before we do any of that, mm. I love vomit stories. Did I ever tell you I'm great at vomiting? Well, I I wish I had talked to you before Saturday night. I am so if you I can give you tips. I need but first, why don't, you, uh, why don't you tell me about something that you like? Uh, let me do that for you. It's our friends over at HostGator. HostGator, premier web hosting provider. Remember a few minutes ago we were talking about how Marco would go and you know, have a server racked up for him? They still do this. If you want a dedicated, physical piece of hardware up on a rack that you and only you have access to and control and run, HostGator is happy to do that for you. If, if you want something a little different, like let's say you want a VPS. This is what I use them for and, and, and mainly what I do these days. A virtual private server, they'll, they'll be able to set you up with that. And you can custom configure it and set it up exactly the way that you want it to be. And of course, if, if you're a one, as, as Merlin would say, a tilde account, you can get that too. They've got tons and tons of great shared hosting. They guarantee 99.9% uptime, no matter what you're doing. If you're a WordPress user, you're going to love their one click installs. They've got optimized hosting for that platform and tons of other platforms, unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth. I use these, I use the heck out of these guys. I've got a bunch of services on these guys running. And what I love about it is they've got a control panel. For people who don't want to learn the command line, you don't have to. You go to the control panel, you click the software you want to install, boom, it's there. You're done. You want to add users? Click. Done. It's amazing what they've done. And they've got the latest, greatest versions of all the Linux operating systems, anything else that you want. Really got to check these guys out. They have the best support in the business. Really, really do. I've met them. I've met their folks behind the scenes. And uh, and they've got 24-7 support. And, and they really are amazing. And they know exactly how to get the stuff done if you ever run into trouble. Austin-based company. They're here and in, 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 in Houston. And uh, so you're supporting the, the Austin community, which is great. I mean, it's, all, it's not San Francisco, but, yeah. you know, whatever. Uh, 
go check these guys out. It, we have a special code that's going to get you 30% off. Now, keep in mind, that's 30% off of everything that's on the HostGator site. So that includes things like SSL certificates, domains, you name it. Go check them out. Of course, the hosting included in that. Code to use is back to work, all spelled out. Back to work. 30% off. Thank you very much to HostGator.com for supporting 5 by 5 and back to work. Mm. Great guys. They gave us a little stuffed animals. Little oh, little that's gators. so nice. And my, my and little, you, your girl wanted one? Yeah, she came into the office. And fortunately, I had two because she... Like your two year old girl looks at looks at a stuffed animal that's sitting on you know on the shelf and she's like I want that daddy I'm like of course you got that so it's a good mm. thing I had a second one hidden. You're a good dad. She would have taken both. She has it now. Do you remember finger? Yes. Finger finger was like the web page of its time. Finger for those who don't remember finger I think it's still around. You could. Uh, because we had multi-user Unix systems, we had lots of people in the university logged in. You could see when your when your friend was uh, last online, or if they were still online by <laughs> by using the finger. I won't say it the other way. By you using could finger the, them, you could finger them, and you could see. It's a protocol, Dan. It's when science. they were online last, or what they were and, even and, doing, and, and like a little status message if you wanted mm-hmm. to. Like even before you know, email signatures caught on. You could have your, uh, you could uh, get fingered by your friends. <clears throat> um, that's really all I've got. Yeah. Just remembering, because I, I, the other thing, final thing about me and my, and my uh, Paleolithic days mm. on the uh, on the internet, mm. uh, there were so few things that you could personalize. Really, I mean, you know, I think we had as somewhere in the what would it be. I don't even remember what it was. I, you know, there's all the conventions about, is it in, you know, home, triple dub, like whatever. I mean, I think you could have like a basic homepage, but there would be links. People looking at it on links. Yeah. Links. L Y N X. Yeah. 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 And, uh, but finger, you could go into your finger file and, you know, and say things like, you know, whatever. Right. So you could have a little message so that when you were fingered by somebody, it would say something. Listening to spin doctors. Right. Oh, I just I just fingered my own account here on my Mac, and it still works. No way. Yeah. Is it just just finger? And without I think a, it was a plan file. Oh, I'm, dot plan. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm editing my plan file right now, and I'm fingering my uh, account. Yep, still works. Yeah, finger. dot plan. Wow, so, look at yeah, that. Listen to us. <laughs> Back in <Well>, my day. <laughs> so. Looks like here I logged in on Tuesday at ten oh four, and then then there was the the wall command and the write command where you could send a message to somebody else's screen, and if they didn't know how to clear it, it would really mess them up. And anyway, so mm. here's I want to I want to jump into this potential topic here. So Cameron Mall, uh, very talented designer illustrator, tweeted this morning. Uh, that uh, he's he's tweeting to, I guess, one of the people that he follows. And he's quoting from this article. The article is called Defeating Email. And uh, the quote from the article is, I deleted email from all my devices and the next two weeks were so glorious that I haven't put it back on since. And he replies to this person and says, I moved email I moved email app off the home screen for a few weeks ago for the same reasons. Maybe this is the next step I need to take. And so the the guy's name is Cap Watkins, which if if that is his real name, kudos to him. I'll tell you what. 
Um, but he has this post here called defeating email. He says, before Kim and I got married, my after work routine was generally one, come home two check work email, three cook dinner four check work email, five, relax and watch a movie, six check work email, seven, get ready for bed, eight check work email. And he goes down to say, does this sound familiar? You know, I always looked at my phone for this. I did all that. And he talks about how the little red email badge would suck him right back in to work mode and to pulling out his laptop and writing some code or solving a problem or whatever it was that he does. And, uh, he said, you know, he, he, uh, he, he was just, this was his routine. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, then he said, uh, that when he, I guess went on his honeymoon, uh, before he left, he deleted all of the work email accounts from all of the devices, I guess that he was, that he had all of them. And he said that the, the two weeks were amazing. And when he got back, he still hasn't put it back on. So now instead of using an, you know, using an app to check his email, he just opens a page, a tab in his browser, works in email in the browser. And then when he's done, he closes it and walks away. And he says that his colleagues haven't noticed his productivity and work hasn't taken a hit. And he says the stuff that happens after hours is still there. In the morning when he sits down with his coffee, the world hasn't, hasn't ended. No one has been upset. He says, I don't think most of my coworkers have even noticed. The biggest difference is that now when I do open up my email and read through today's questions, today's complexities, those are things that are actually actionable because it's daytime. People are awake and ready to have conversations and are capable of solving problems. What do you think about this? Um, I, I think it sounds like he's found a system that works for him, which is you know really all we can hope for. I don't do this. I don't, don't do which I don't do his system. I don't, I, I have all the accounts on all my devices. Right. And there was a time when I had a full-time job. I was a software developer on a team of other software developers. All of us were remote. And there was one boss that I had in particular who was a very, very nice man. And at certain stages of the evening, would go from being a very, very nice man to a very analytical and I don't want to say critical because it was constructive. He was trying to make the best product, but, but uh, almost a critical kind of person who would pick apart every detail of everything that all the work that you had done in a way where he was trying to say, here's how we can make this better. Let's make the best product. But to get that kind of email at 1030 when you're getting ready for bed and you, you just can't sit with that for the next eight hours before mm -hmm. you're supposed to be doing your next email. You know what I mean? And, and this is back in that conversation that we had very early back in the magical, uh, magical days of the show when we used to help people episode seven, where, you know, like you're just a guy sitting in a room. Well, this was that time period. Is this the me. guy that gave, uh, gave people heart palpitations? Yes. Yes. Right. And, uh, and, and so, you know, sitting there and getting an email like this and like, you have to respond you might even have to write code. Like I'd be up till three now because I have to respond to this, you know? So in that sense, like I understand you know, and, and there's sometimes there's email I get. I'm just like, I just don't want to read this right now, but it, it comes in and, and, you know, but it, do you, isn't there something uh, just to play devil's advocate a little bit? Isn't there something to be said for self-control of just saying, you know what, I'm just not going to read my email until tomorrow morning. Right. Like, do you, do, do you have to take this step of it's like, well, I don't want to have a snack after 10 PM. So my wife puts a chain across the refrigerator and I just can't bust through it. Like, do you need, I guess some people do need to have this kind of physical 
wall between them and this habit that they can't stop? Or am I oversimplifying it or, or no, misunderstanding no, no, no. the problem? I, no, I don't think so. I think there's several ways of looking at it. I mean, from a from your sort of Buddhist point of view, though, um, the reasons why you do things, the intentionality are important. And if you've, uh, is, right, isn't that fair to yeah, say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if your intentionality, which always sounds like it has too many syllables, um, if you've decided that you would like to do a certain thing a certain way for a certain reason in a certain style, um, then how do you how do you put that into effect? So, I mean, if you're trying to eat better, you're trying to cut down on, uh, you know, let's say, for example, eating fatty foods before you go to bed. Mm. Well, you know, it'd be nice to get to a place where you could have two unopened bags of your favorite salty snack in the house and you wouldn't eat them. But until you're great at that, the best way to express that intentionality would probably be to make sure you don't buy that. It isn't, it isn't even necessarily that you like just they can't get access to it. It's not yeah. like you can't go get it down the street or, you know, have somebody bring it to you. It's not impossible, but it does, you know, locks were invented to keep the honest people honest. <laughs> and in that instance, you're just, in, you know, again, it's a little bit back to that idea of daytime and nighttime me, you know, the, the parts of me that have different kinds of willpower. Um, but yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to have that. But I think also, um, gosh, there's a million ways to look at it. Uh, I, there's, there's, Pretty much, there are very, very, very few circumstances where I would want somebody coming into my house after 9 p.m. Um, just for for a whole variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, for one thing, it's kind of like it's a private, like a family time. Or like my kids asleep at that point. I wouldn't want somebody just in my house. Um, Unless they're there for a good reason, unless they're there because there's a fire or somebody was screaming or they're there because I asked them to deliver something and it was a, oh God, how wonderful. Our UPS person actually delivered something at nine. That's really cool. Um, and they actually had to come in the house for some reason. But, you know, there aren't that many good reasons why I would find someone in my house at 9 p.m. Um, and in, in fact, I, I really don't even want to, I don't want people knocking on my door at 9 p.m. Or period, really. No, I'm getting to that. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm already there. Well, no, welcome. But, but, but you understand, I mean, let, 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 let's, let's just do the Socratic uh, amble here. So first of all, I don't want people in my house at nine o'clock. I don't, I don't want people, sure, I don't want people banging on my door at nine o'clock. No, I, I don't even want to hear people like milling outside my door at nine o'clock. But you know, the most critical part of that in some ways is to getting with my personality and my hangups, getting to a place where I'm not even wondering if there might be somebody coming at nine o'clock. So, you know, I think we can, in my case, if you take my point of view on this, you can understand why I wouldn't want people in my house. So you can probably understand why I wouldn't want people banging on the door. You can probably understand why I wouldn't even want people politely knocking unless it's an emergency. Why would you want to hear them? Because this is an entire realm of my life where the decisions have been made. The decision is that this is a time when I'm in for the night. Maybe I'm watching a TV show with my wife, but you know, we, it's not really, it's, it's not a time for that. And so if you can follow me that, that far, make the leap with me to, I don't even want to think about whether I should like have pants on to answer the door. <laughs> this is a no door having time in <laughs> right. my house. Right. And, and the most difficult part of that is the part that's happening in my brain. So let's say somebody threw a bottle at our house. This has not happened. But let's say for the sake of argument, something disruptive happened outside. I'm going to be thinking a whole lot now about what's happening outside of my house. Now, there's a very real possibility that door has to open for some reason. And now I'm not a happy person anymore, even though that's mostly happening in my brain at that point. So what's that have to do with email? Well, you know, to, to, to whatever your own 
if, if you've evolved enough as a person to have an intentionality about email, and I would, I would just guess that a lot of people aren't even evolved enough to have uh, intentionality about email beyond just being frustrated and trying to get through it a lot of times. Um, if your intentionality is that this is not a time of day when I ask the world what it needs, right? Mm-hmm. But what, what is email? E- email is where you go in and to find out who somebody expects you to be right now. What is it somebody expects you to, you know, how does somebody expect you to be? What is it that somebody wants you to know? You know, and if you're me and you're fancy, like, do you want to live in a world where you need to find out what people expect of you at 9.15 at night? Because then if you are doing that, and that is what you're doing when you check email, you're finding out, is there something I need to know about, about who I'm supposed to be? If you've accepted that that's okay, then you have also tacitly accepted that it's okay to stop doing whatever else you're doing to take care of it. So if you go in and you check your email at 9.15, and you have this gentleman who sounds like he's basically doing the equivalent of some journaling Mm. and decides to share it with his team with fairly, you know, sort of, um, it sounds like maybe slightly... uh, not maybe not dramatic, but but pressing like there's a pressing need for something to happen, but we're not sure what. So now Dan's up and he's writing code mm-hmm. at nine fifteen at mm-hmm. nine sixteen. So I you know I, that that door analogy really works for me. And to me, there are all kinds of acrobatics that you can do to make that work. I, I could take a sedative so I never think about my door. I could get a door with a much bigger peephole so I can e- see easier from a distance if somebody's there. Mm-hmm. I could have a uh, I could have a screen door that people just rattle if it's not that important. <laughs> um, I could put on you know put in earplugs. I guess there's all kinds of ways to, of addressing that that problem. Uh, as long as you understand what problem you're trying to address, and and I don't have a beef with anybody who realizes that they want their life to be a certain way and are willing to take steps to make it happen, and uh, even at the risk of whatever sounding fancy. I think that takes it takes stones. Um, I mean, I'm going on now, but does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, it's it's a good way to 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 put it and to think about it. I just, you know, we we talk in develop in development circles about constraints, and you and I have talked about it on the show a bunch. Where you know constraints are a good thing. Here's here's the things that we know we can't do. So how can we innovate inside of that space that we're left with? And Great. you know, so but does that apply to to this to what you're talking about? Well, I mean, here's another way to look at it. Um, if I don't know if if you're like me, there was a time, maybe junior high and high school, when I really liked talking on the phone. It was the just it was the equivalent of like I guess kind of like how texting is now, or yelling at people with uh, headphones on during Call of Duty or whatever. But like that's that the way we talked to each other was we talked on the phone to each other for a really long time. You couldn't always hang out. You know, you, you would talk and talk and talk. And when the phone rang, it was joy because that means somebody was reaching out to you and like right. make a connection with you. It was the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. Um, and then by the time I got to having a job, I enjoyed the phone less because usually people were calling me because they wanted me to do work. Or there you know? was a problem and you had to go fix it. There are very few phone calls in business to say, I'm sorry to bother you. I just want to let you know you're working really hard and doing awesome. Bye. That's not most phone calls. Most people are calling you because they want something, they need something. Um, and, you know, but even then, it's work, right? That's what you do. You answer the phone. But by the late 90s, I had a very distinct feeling, which was, could you just effing email me? Like, why, why did you call? Why did you call? I come back from lunch and I've got three voicemails from people. First of all, it's all stuff they could have figured out on their own if they'd actually taken a minute to think about it in some cases. But, but I came to really dread that. I came to dread hanging up the phone to then see the voicemail 
blinking again. So I call and return those calls because you got to return the call. They left a voicemail. You're not an animal. You call them back or you start 69 them or whatever. You say, hey, uh, I got your voicemail. It was really long. What's going on? And then you hang up and the, the light's blinking again because no other people have called while you were on the phone. And so just go with me to a different time and place where that's what happened at work. And it probably still happens at work. But I remember having a very distinct feeling of like, look, the phone is a thing that like should be for like stuff that is pressing like right now. Like and 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 but but the the way we grew up in my generation was the phone was kind of this ambling thing where you talk to people and yeah, there were rules about it, but it was still very much a like the Wild West. But I just I remember thinking, and I, you know, I I really felt like a like a geek because I would say like, hey, you know, this is great, you know, work. <laughs> Could you email me about this? Here's my email address, and they'd say, what's an email address? But do you remember that feeling of like I would? I remember feeling so much relief of like I'm so I like I like dealing with email mm-hmm. so much more than I like dealing with the phone. Do you remember a point when you felt that crossover? Yeah, I definitely do because email, in a way, it's. You know, it, it's not like it's something you can control. I mean, that's a silly perception. Fact, but no, let's, let's go back in time. Let's go back in time to before spam was a giant problem. Right. And, and, and back when sending email was a little bit more thoughtful, maybe. It was a little more like a letter. But, but what, what, what's, what was the, one of the primary things of email that spun out of its, in my mind, antecedent of, I know message boards probably came after email, but message boards were a place where you would go and leave a message for somebody. Mm-hmm. They would, they, people would find the message later on and they would respond to it. But there was absolutely, there's no way to even find out. Like you wouldn't be awoken out of bed to go respond to somebody's question <laughs> about some, you know, uh, .ini file. Well, it's like what you're saying about someone knocking on the door. It's the same thing. It's like, you know, you're allowing this person into your house. House. And email, if if you have that, I know, I mean, I know people who have their notifications for their email on their phones, like on, we talked, didn't you talk about this like one or two weeks ago, mm-hmm. how people will have this, uh, yeah, we, in our sleep, most recent sleep episode, you were saying this, how people will have their phones like going off at night with just as an email comes through or an Instagram photo gets liked or something like that. Like it's, it's amazing to me how invasive, like here, here's a funny, really funny thing to think about it. Uh, Somebody once said, you know, people were, they were talking about health and eating. They're like, would you consider feeding your dog, you know, donuts and coffee and giving him a cigarette? But why would you do that for yourself? You know, like, of course you wouldn't do that for your dog. No way. But ah, you can, you can have donuts and coffee, you know, like it's, it's the same thing. Would you put your phone with all those alerts and noises that are going off? Would you put that in your kid's room at night? No, of course not. Because I would wake the kid up. Well, why would you do it to yourself? Well, this is this is why I'm trying to, to to take this really drawn out analogy of saying like, whereas I used to feel at a time in that weird period where lots of people had email, but like spam wasn't a problem, and spam really became a problem, like a big, big, big problem by like 2001, maybe 2002. It was just it was pretty bad, and just was getting worse and worse with no chance of fixing it. Um, it just felt like an unsolvable problem. But in those halcyon days, that little window, that little summer of love, where lots of people had email and were using it and not being dicks about it, like that was a pretty great time because you really could connect with all kinds of people. And it just seemed like two or three times a week you get an email out of nowhere from somebody saying, "Hey, it's me, your friend from college. I just got your email address from thus and such other friend. This is great, and let's go get a drink and do stuff." It's great. Fantastic. And at that point, that really displaced the phone. The phone, I mean, I, I mean, we've, we had a landline phone in our house up until uh, way beyond when we needed it. 
I mean, probably until like what, 2002, 2003, we still were paying for a phone that was mainly people calling and, and with phone solicitations. Anyway, my point being that I, I now I feel like today, uh, I go look. I go to my in laws, mm-hmm. and they got the landline phone, and they are aghast that we do not. With a child, yeah, you can't have a, you have a phone. How do you? Uh, how do you call people with their phone? <laughs> yeah, they both have iPhones, but they still got this landline phone. And yeah. I told you before, the on running joke is like three times we we are there visiting them in an afternoon. They they have to pick up the phone, and and they go, I know it's a telemarketer. I can tell. Uh, no, no ID. No caller ID. Or one eight hundred. You know. Yeah. Phone you and like and and and, and my, my brother-in-law starts screaming at the saying, "I told you, I wanted to be on your do not call list. You legally can't be calling me right now." Click. So anyway, I don't know why you guys don't have a home phone. Well, they pay <laughs> to have that phone in their home and accept the fact that it is primarily they have the ringer on and everything. Oh my god, no, no way for this. They have Comcast. They have Xfinity, so they have the Xfinity service that lets them see the number on the screen. Oh, right on their TV. It's magic. Yeah, (laughs) it's great. It's like it's like being able to see the name of your prison guard. It's really exciting, and and so like, but they're inviting that into their home, and and it just seems like a constant source of frustration. Well, if you have, if you've let people basically know that they can just email you anytime, whatever, and you respond anytime, whatever, and you actually do leave on your notifications and stuff on it, this could be a straw man, but I think we all have aspects of this we suffer from. You know, if you really want an invoice to get paid, for example, you're going to really stand over that. You're going to keep pinging the person. You're going to, you want that information. You want that money, right? You're Maury or whatever, right? So, if there's something you really want, you can stand over email all day long. You could be calling people all day long because you really want, 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 want all that stuff. But I think it's also easy to become habituated to where you think, I need to just be available because I don't know what's going to come up. Maybe I'm looking for a job. Maybe I'm worried that my boss is going to email five people and the first one is going to be the one who doesn't get laid off. There's reasons people do this. They're not dumb. But but in the same way, I feel at this point, you know, and there's evolutions and evolutions. But right now, I kinda, that's how I kind of feel about I feel about email now the way I did about the phone maybe 15 years ago, 10 years ago, which is it really, it, it's something where people, certainly nice people are going to write to me and say hello, and, and that's great. But like the thing is, that's still a call. That's still a call, and I'm expected to answer it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, nothing bad about that, but just remember that. Like, you know, would you, in the same way that you wouldn't go knocking on somebody's door, you know, would you call them up at 930 to say, how's it going? No. Because email's different, right? Because email is like a bulletin board. It just goes out there and you get it whenever. Well, but the thing is today, I think there are people, maybe not you, Dan, maybe not me, but there are people who if they get that email at 930 and their phone goes bloop, like they're going to at least read it, maybe respond to it, and possibly if they're a real ninja, might do something about it at 930 at night. Mm -hmm. So they still got the service, they got the ringer on, and they're willing to sit there and yell at the telemarketing people, and then they wonder why they're stressed out. (laughs) So. You know, the, th- the, the, the part about this that I, I don't have any, that much more satisfying things to say about email because I've said it all, but I'll just say this. Like, whatever you allow in, whatever you make okay is what's going to be okay. And if it's okay with you that you're checking your email at 930, you don't have anybody to blame but yourself. You're, you're a grown-ass person, and you're, you're getting mad at all these other people. You have to be the one who sets those boundaries and then maintains those expectations with people. And if you have a boss who is constantly emailing you at 9.30 at night, expecting you to be there, expecting you to read it, expecting you to stop what you're doing and then do something about it. 
Who's screwing up there? Yeah. Oh, in this, by the way, in this poor man's uh, defense, I was not required to do that. That was my own desire. Well, okay. So to get back to the original point, I guess mm. I, 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 um, my email, I can't even tell you what, what I do with email right now. It's really bad. Um, it would get me in a lot of trouble. Um, but, uh, I have, um, my, you know what? We don't really have time today, but I'd be happy to talk about how I'm doing email these days. No, I, I would love but, to hear that. But I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm just pretty ruthless about it. And just because it's the back to the pebble, right? You hand me, you hand me this one pebble, you're the nicest person in the world. Then you hand me a pebble, but then the second nicest, nicest person in the world hands me a pebble and 15 more people hand me a pebble. Mm. And there are, there are about maybe five or six emails in the history of forever that somebody has responded to that didn't lead to another response. Every email is actually three emails. And if that's five people, you now have 15 emails you're dealing with. And it, there may be a request in there. And I mean, sometimes I find the wherewithal to say, I'm, no, I'm sorry this, but other times the response has to be, I, I didn't answer your email. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I, I can't create an expectation that I'm going to be standing by with my catcher's mitt, you know, in a crouch, like waiting for the next ball to come over the plate. That's, I'm not going to live like that. And, you know, if I got into a job or a situation where I had to live like that, uh, I would accept it and it would probably be time to limit it. And I'd still want to talk to people about what's okay in terms of those expectations. And mm. if you can't have that conversation about people you know about what's okay, don't be surprised that people you don't know have expectations of you that you don't have control over. Mm. And then you got the beep and you got the flash and now you're awake and you have sleep apnea and now you're tired all day at work <laughs> because you didn't sleep. <laughs> right. And that's your boss's fault. How? So, I'm no, it's, it, you know... You know, back back to the old backdoor stuff, Dan. There's plenty of people out there that are going to tell you a really, really simple and easy answer for this, which is that you need a different plugin. Well, <laughs> I use plugins. I yeah. use plugins that give me notifications from people that, whose emails I never want to miss. If they become a person who's sending me emails that I increasingly want to miss, guess what? I take them out of the plugin. But I have to make each one of those decisions. You know, if you, if you let strangers decide how you're going to feel today, if you let strangers decide how much you're allowed to sleep today, if you let strangers decide what kind of work you're going to accomplish in your life, you are fundamentally screwed. Tell me about something you like. I will tell you about New Relic, software analytics company that helps you make sense of billions of metrics across millions of applications all in real time. It's 2014, Merlin. 2014. Hmm. And you know what people are really focused on now? Seamless application performance, multiple platforms, all of their devices. This sounds, it doesn't sound that simple, but in theory, you're like, oh yeah, why shouldn't I be able to have it? Making your app work consistently well on lots of different devices, all with different operating systems, running different types of software. This is complex. This is complicated. He's fragile, man. Well, back in the old days, like 2007, right? It's basically impossible for an app developer to know how his or her app was performing once it got shipped to production, right? <laughs> it's difficult to tell if the app is working. I wish there were a service for me. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, it's 2007. In- I'm still testing it myself, running it from the shell. The shell. <laughs> 2007. Uh, well, those those days, they are officially behind us now. And New Relic, that's because, all because of New Relic, it lets, lets you track your application performance down to the end user level in real time. You can spot problems, you can find bugs, and you can fix code. And so this is what I do. One of the very first things that I do, I, we've been talking earlier about Rails applications. This is not just for Rails. And don't, don't be fooled. They support Ruby, yes. 
.NET, Java, PHP, Python, Node.js, you name it. All you have to do is generate their little config file. And you add in, in Rails, you add the new Relic gem. It's just as easy in the other platforms, the ones you choose. And it automatically starts collecting data from the way that your application is performing. It sends this data to New Relic. New Relic gathers it all, keeps track of everything, automatically looks at things like the transactions that are happening on the database servers. Every, you, I mean, you name it. And when you run into a problem, you're like, hmm, I wonder why this page loads slowly or I wonder why this part of the application that I've built isn't doing what it should be doing. All of those things are, are, are knowable, knowable and solvable problems. And, uh, and they, they, they tell you right there. They'll even show you the SQL code. They'll show you everything that is potentially causing those kind of problems. It lets you, it also does simple notifications. Like there's uh, built into this is, oh, you know what? Your server stopped responding. Your application stopped responding. They'll tell you that. They'll send you those alerts. Maybe those are the kind of alerts you do want to get on your phone at 1 a.m. if you're running a web service. <laughs> you bet you do. You know, but, uh, but they're all there, and they have things like performance dashboards. They've got topology maps. They've got SLA reports. They've got app deck scoring, the alert thresholds. You name it. It's all there. It's all built into New Relic, and these guys are great. And uh, we went out there and visited them in the fancy San Francisco, up where Merlin lives, and it was, it was really great. So what, what you need to do is you need to go and you need to check out special URL that I would like for you to use is newrelic.com slash back to work. Easy enough to remember. What will that get you? Use that code back to work. It will get you a 30-day extended free pro trial. So this gives you the, 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 the big boy, the, the, the Mac daddy, like Merlin says, of, uh, of New Relic uh, applications. So go there, newrelic.com slash back to work. Use the code back to work, 30-day extended free pro trial. And, uh, and that's what I use. And one of the first things I do when I'm building an app is I add the New Relic gem to my Rails app because that way it can start getting the data immediately as soon as you deploy it. So go check it out. Smart enough not to do any, any, anything crazy when you're in development too. It knows when you're in production. All that stuff is figured out. Solvable problems. New Relic, thanks very much to NewRelic.com for supporting 5x5 and Back to Work. Threw up seven times Saturday night. What was the consequent cause of this? I was, uh, I, maybe intentionally, but I, w- I was poisoned. Mm. Poisoned. Poisoned, yeah. Poisoned. You know, it's usually that's how women kill. I, yeah. No, yeah, it's I've true. Heard, no, it's I've true. heard that. You, women yes. poison. Men stab. They're poisoners. Men stab, women uh, poison. Mm. And you got, you got poisoned. Yeah. Do, do you have a sense of what meal it occurred at or, yeah, or perhaps what, yeah. which dish? Uh, well, here's what, here's what I'm trying to figure out. And I need some experts to weigh in here. Okay. Is, is it, how long does it take for the, the poisoned food to start to affect you? It depends on the poison and it depends on the food. Hmm. I think, I think. What if it's got, like uh, not a, an, an actual poison that was added to the food, mm-hmm. but if the food was itself contaminated by... Uh, it had, uh, as they say, turned. Turned, yeah. The food had, had turned. It had uh, gone bad. Yeah. Um, like, is it 24 uh, hours? Is it less? Oh, dearie me, no. Oh, I got full transit in less than 24 hours. You kidding me? So how long does it How long that train's, does it le- that train's left the station by the next morning for me. See, that's what I thought. So maybe it wasn't the one meal that I was thinking it was. Did you have, uh, so you had upstairs? Did you have any downstairs? All, no, this was all upstairs. Pure upstairs. Yeah. That, hmm. Seven times. Seven t- times. Seven times. I have to tell you, I, that does not sound like bad food. That sounds like poisoning. I think you were poisoned. I think I was poisoned. I think you were poisoned a little bit. I think someone was sending a message. It is uh, what we in American law message, enforcement call message a received. warning shot, warning shot, message received. The message loud and clear received. You need to get your mind right is what they said. Poison. Right. Yeah. Are you feeling better now? 
Oh yeah, I'm pretty much back to normal, but I haven't I haven't eaten much more than like rice and a gluten free toast since since the event. That's, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard. I know. Did you um did you get the dry heaves? <laughs> did you get to that? N- well, I want to hear about I want to hear about you. <laughs> yeah, I want to hear about your tips. But I'll tell you what the the process was. So it was about eight. Just one tip. One tip, Dan. Commit. Commit. I may have done that. I mean, you may you be proud. You got to commit. You go. I am going to vomit the crap out of this mm-hmm. and just get really into it, and then open wide and go. <laughs> or if you have the dry heaves, you go. <laughs> here's here's a lemon grab for you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't hear you over how much you have to be in the garbage forever. You've got to be reading the comics. Oh my God, they're so good. They got to be good. <laughs> my, my daughter drew a lemon grab the other day and then made a suit for him out of uh, construction paper. Oh, wow. And a black suit. And I said, hmm, he looks kind of like, um, <laughs> he looks kind of like a ninja. And I said, well, you know, it's cool because he's kind of got a sword. And I came back... <laughs> I went to work and I came back and my wife kind of gives me the thumb thing, like pointing at the refrigerator. And my wife has written this, what my daughter asked her to write, which is, I am determined to become a ninja. And there he was. I love that. (laughs) That is so cool. Oh my God, it's still so good. It's still so good. It's still so good. If I had another child, I would name her Bonnie Bell. Wouldn't that be a sweet name? Done. Wouldn't that be a good name for a dog? Maybe I'll a dog. Have my daughter, uh, have my wife give birth to a dog. Mm-hmm. Then it'd truly be yours. They're the poisoners. <laughs> That's right. Button this up. I love you, Merlin man. Oh, I love you too, Dan Benjamin. 